Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. We've got a great guest on the show today. It's Dan Kleffler, who brings decades of experience in broadcast news, anchoring, and reporting for networks such as ABC News, NBC News, and MSNBC. His experience as a journalist and senior media relations strategist led him to create The Salt Standard, a company that provides media and presentation training. The Salt Standard is known for having a unique approach that empowers individuals to use their authentic voice in a way that builds trust with the public. So thank you so much for joining us, Dan. Is there anything I missed? No, I listen, I couldn't have said it better myself, Todd. Really appreciate uh, having the chance to come on the show. And a great guest. I now have to live up to that kind of an expectation. So thanks for setting the bar quite so high for me. <laughs> oh, you know what? I've actually I've been called out on that before. I think one time it was someone I was like, this is just going to be phenomenal. And then the guest also was like, gee, thanks. I, you know. Flat, flat. Okay. All right. So now I, now I know where the standards lie. That's good to know up front. Well, the, the thing is I'm interviewing somebody who teaches people how to interview people. So now I feel very insecure about everything that's going to happen after this. Uh, listen, I'll, I will judge you on a curve. Uh, it does feel very meta though, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of like who's interviewing who, who's giving whose instructions. So, but we'll get through it. That's all right. Yeah. We'll be fine. People can make their own meaning from what they hear here and uh, take, take what they like. Right, right. So... Why is it that media training seems to be more important than ever? Yeah. You know, I, I think just purely by the fact that our news cycle has never been quite this fast. It's it's funny. You know, every year or even every month we think, oh, my gosh, like what new outlet, what new platform is going to keep delivering us new information? And it seems that whether it's the explosion of TikTok and, you know, we can talk about the, the, the merits of that, but there's always some new way in which people are getting information. So I think to be able to be media trained, to be able to break through all of that noise in the most efficient and effective way as possible, I think has never been more important than now. You know, the other thing is, I think that people are demanding accountability and quite, quite frankly, uh, transparency from the companies, from the people that they do business with. And so being able to get out there with your message in a very clear way has been incredibly important and continues to get more important because people want to buy products. They want to get services from companies that they know what they stand for, what they actually represent. And so therefore, that only gets established when you've got a good, clear message that has been uh, established from media training. The other thing is, is that I think people are being uh, forced to be much more authentic, much more relatable. And that means doing more than just simply reading bullets off of a press release. I mean, this is about bringing your whole self, bringing your whole personality to an interview. And, and I think, again, when you do that, because, you know, as we all know, we are the only person like ourselves in the world. When you do that, you're bringing something that no one else can bring. So I, and I think that that really all gets brought out from a media training session. And, you know, I'll say that, you know, Oftentimes, you know, when I'm when I've got clients that are coming in, sometimes they'll say, oh, I've been media trained before. You know, what more am I going to take out of this? And knock on wood, uh, I have not lost an executive that have walked out of my session saying I didn't learn anything new from that. You know, so I think that there's always new approaches. There's always new aspects that have to be brought into a training session. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's not just training people to go on television. You know, uh, obviously, people these days, everything is done over Zoom. Uh, there's social media. So people need to present themselves, uh, you know, almost like they're on television all day, even though it's not necessarily being broadcast out on CNN. Yeah. I mean, isn't that fun? Everyone gets to be a TV star now, thanks to the pandemic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a little less the makeup industry, I think, uh, had a boom year um, when the pandemic broke. Um, but, you know, you're right. I mean, the, the fact is, is that dynamic interviews are no longer limited to just television studios, print, online journalists. You know, they want to be able to have access to that extra element. And I think that it's it's important. You know, I learned my days at ABC that someone's physical presence, their body stature, the way in which they're smiling really does add that extra element to an engaging story. You know, and for, if, you know, for example, how many times have we watched interviews, whether it's on 60 Minutes, any other kind of, uh, of, of really very serious journalism uh, outlet, that we've watched a very challenging, very pointed question being put forward to the interviewee and they're smiling and they're nodding as if they are, in fact, agreeing with the negative charges that have been leveled against them. Mm, so, yeah. you know, that's just a, that, and that's just a small example for how your body language really does play an important role when you're delivering, uh, you know, delivering an interview. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, Zoom has done a lot of great services as far as giving us access, you know, having that face to face uh, exchange. Um, but it's also forced a lot of interviewees to raise the stakes uh, on, on how they're performing in an interview. Yeah, you, I, I like what you were saying about like body congruency. And, you know, sometimes there might be somebody that goes on the news that's trying to put one over on the host, and they don't succeed because it's their body is telling a totally different story than what their words are saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, so I was just going to lead that into, like, you know, what are some common mistakes that when you're watching somebody be interviewed that people are making? Yeah, I, I there are... <laughs> um, you know, I think probably the biggest one is that people just aren't preparing. Um, mm. You know, oftentimes a lot of executives that I'm working with, and this is not a slam to these executives. I, I think it's just across the board. I think of a lot of executives, whether they have been working on a project or a program or a product for the past couple of months or the past couple of years, they feel as if they know every aspect about it. They know it inside and out. And so therefore, they don't have to prepare for how they're going to tell that story. So I think there's a level of overconfidence. And so therefore, I don't actually need to prepare in the best way to deliver this information that my, my audience is going to care about. The other thing, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier on, is personality. You know, I mean, again, I have a very individual experience than you may have. Mm -hmm. That helps me establish a, a level of relatability of a real person-to-person -person exchange that the audience is looking for. So I think, unfortunately, a lot of executives will just rely on those talking points that they've been given by their comms team and say, okay, if I memorize this, I'll be able to nail this interview. Well, I, not really. I think we all know that. I mean, a, a press release is a good jumping off point, but it doesn't always guarantee a great interview. Um, you know, and, and the last thing is, is I think that... A lot of folks forget about the audience. Uh, I think that we look at interviews as being very self-serving opportunities. And so, you know, think about what is the audience thinking about you or about your company or about your product? You know, what does the audience feel about that? What does the audience need out of what you have to say? So when you put yourself in your audience's shoes, 
I think that's when you you, you become a lot more self-reflective and say, hmm, these are aspects I want to definitely make sure I incorporate because ultimately I want the audience to buy my product or think differently about my company, whatever it may be. So I, I think there's a, a, a bit of a um, taking a step back, thinking what that audience wants and then delivering on that. So how do you tell a CEO? It's got to be kind of touchy because you're sitting there and the guy's a CEO or a woman is a CEO and they're a powerful person and you have to say, you know what, Al, you just don't come off correct on camera. You're looking a little gruff here. You're looking a little aggressive. How can we tone you down in order to be more relatable? How do you have that conversation? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I love those conversations with Al, oh. <laughs> with all the Al's and the Alice's of the world. No, I, I genuinely do, because when a comms team or a PR team comes to me and they say, listen, uh, my executive is not exactly thrilled about going into a media training session. That's what like really fires me up, you know, because those mm -hmm. are like the more satisfying sessions. Um, you know, so how do you deliver that? First and foremost, you have to create a safe space you're not going to be able to deliver any kind of guidance or criticism unless that executive is going to feel that it's okay for them to make mistakes. In fact, they should be encouraged to make mistakes. That's, you know, that's obviously how we learn. So I think the way in which you create that safe space is letting them know that the work that gets done inside of there is meant to be a little ugly, a little messy. It might even be a little, uh, a little revelatory uh, when it comes to what they wanna share in their own experiences. And I think one of the ways you do that is by, tr from a very tactical standpoint, trying to eliminate as many people out of the room as possible. Okay. Um, that allows them to sort of drop their shoulders, let their guard down, and they can speak to me a little more on a one-on-one -on -one level. You know, I, I'm able to kind of come in almost as a dark horse, you know, for the comms team because, you know, I don't report to that CEO or that executive. Uh. Um, and so therefore I can have a little bit more candid conversation with them. And that's when you encourage them to say, you know, tell me a little bit about your experience. How does your product, how does your business, how does your organization have an impact on your daily life, you know, or on your husband's life? You know, how does that, how does that relate to you? Once you start getting those kinds of real world and those, those emotions and those, you know, memories and all that kind of thing, that's when you get them to open up. That's when they start to deliver their personality. And that's when you start to establish the trust that you say, you know what, the first two questions you did a great job on, I think on the third one, you could tighten that up. Or we really right. didn't seem solid on this one. So it's, it's, it's creating that safe space, but, but really the, you know, the bigger message is establishing that level of trust from a very, very early point of the session. Easier said than done. <laughs> it sounds it is. To me. <laughs> but you know what? But, but it is. But you know what? I'll say this. It has to be a very dynamic. It has to be an equal exchange. So usually when I conduct a, a session, it's really broken into two components. The first is about the instructional. That's the 101. And that, that's everything from understanding the value of effective storytelling, talking about the messaging itself, and then giving some real practical guidelines. And then we go into the mock interview or the mock presentation. And the, and the fact is, is that once you start going into that mock interview, you start to have a little bit of that exchange back and forth. And in that mock area, that is when we start to have kind of that dance back and forth. I'm going to lead the question this way. You're going to react that way. That's when you're that's when it feels a little bit less of like me lecturing, which I, I don't think I do. But it's a little less of me giving that instructional component. It's a little bit more of an even exchange. So that, again, I, I think that that helps build that level of trust and and. Um, you know, I, I'm not, 
you know, one of the things that, that I, I'm very grateful for is my years um, in TV news because yeah. I have had a m- number of interviews where an interviewee has sat down and has started giving me one or two word answers. And I'm like, oh, oh. this is total snooze fan, <laughs> oh. right? Which, which is not what you're getting right now. You're getting nothing but like a nonstop, you know, slew of words. But um, but I've learned over the years how you can go about coaxing someone out of their shell. Tell me a little bit more about this. How do, Again, how does this have an impact on you? Start to develop that level of trust and relationship. Oh, that's great. I've got to imagine that, you know, beneath the hot lights, you're live on television and you're getting nothing back because maybe the other person froze. It's got to be the loneliest moment on earth, even though you're talking to another human being. You know, it it is lonely. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people think that a lot of reporters are out there to get that gotcha, to get that headline, to get that. The, The fact is, is like, I feel, and I know a lot of other reporters feel the same way, I feel just as badly when someone's only giving me a one or two word sent, you know, answer. It means that they're, they're either uncomfortable, they're nervous, they're not prepared, whatever it is. I want them to succeed, you know, because if it's a yeah. flop of an interview, it doesn't look good for anyone. No. Every, everyone loses in that situation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, how is it that you're able to coax people into showing their authentic selves in these situations? Because I assume, A, you're going kind of from zero to 60 with people. It's not like they've sat and they, they've sat and worked on their you know uh, television personality for years and developed their own voice. You're kind of, you're, you're telling Al, the CEO, how to be the authentic Al on the third time he's ever been on television. And that's no easy task. Right. Well, okay. Well, first and foremost, help to show them the importance of bringing their personality and their authentic selves, right? And again, I think it's a matter of reminding them, listen, you're going up against some TikToker that's showing us the latest dance craze. So just so you know, the stakes are very, very high to get people's attention. So I think first and foremost, helping to understand the value of authenticity is incredibly important. The other thing is, is helping them to realize that they didn't get to that position where they're at, whether it's a CEO, senior executive, whatever level they might be. It wasn't just their academic background. It wasn't just their experience that got them there. It was also their personality. Mm. It's what they do when they're at the cocktail hour after the conference or the off-site meeting. It's how they're able to interact and interchange with other people. That is what makes them successful in addition to all of those things that we see on the resumes and on the paper and all their accolades. So, you know, I think that pulling out those examples, pulling out those stories, you know, again, I go back to this whole idea, why does your company matter to you? You know, and if you can't answer that, then we may need to spend some time on that, you know, and, and dive a little bit deeper. Rarely, in fact, I would go so far as I've never had an executive say to me, I work at this company because I make money. Right. I've never had that happen. Right. And and I think I can I can read through someone's BS pretty quickly if someone just throws out that, well, I'm here to, you know, change the world. No, you eventually get to that point where someone says, you know what, I saw the goals of this company and I knew I had to be a part of it or it believes in my value system and, and, and therefore I want to advance that. Once you start getting into kind of that that very um, that deep emotional connection that someone has to where they're working that's when you allow that authenticity to come out. So it's, you know, again, it's a level of building that trust and helping them understand being authentic, you know, it's essential. It's essential to getting that great interview out there. 
Yeah, and I saw the power in this. Now you can use this as a tool, Dan. You can put this in part in one in one of your decks. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, Am I going to oh, have to pay a royalty for this? No, no. This is this is free of charge. First one's okay. free, and then you come back for more, and then you know we'll talk to my lawyer. But so we we had I was doing this uh, direct response radio campaign with a guy who owned a window company, and this guy you'd sit in a meeting. He was the most passionate guy about windows in the world. He'd sit there and talk about his glass and his. It was so. You got inspired. You go, oh, man, my windows on my house are, are junk when you talk to this guy. But he had right. a very thick, like, Latvian accent. And so he thought that there's no way in the world we could put him in a radio ad because of his accent. And he was very self-conscious about it. And we said, no, no, no. You have this great personality. You have this unique voice. You have this unique sound, unique personality. People are going to eat it up. And the guy was completely insecure about it. We put a mic in his face, and then boom, the guy... Bonker. The ad went bonkers because people felt the authenticity of what he was saying. And everything that held him back, he thought was a hindrance, was actually a positive. Because it really branded him as this unique guy that people trusted. You know what? You bring up a really good point here. So this is where I'm not going to pay you for that tip because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on to that. Terrible. You know, I would have to say if there's one thing that I want an executive to walk away with, it's confidence when they go into the interview. And I think that that speaks exactly to that example that you just shared right there. You know, I work with some executives that maybe English may not be their first language or perhaps they're coming in and they've got some really big shoes to fill. And so therefore, they're already feeling a little intimidated or they feel as if they're going to have to go out there swinging, you know, uh, for the fences. It's allowing them to understand that they have the ability and that they should feel very confident in sitting down at any interview that they can deliver the messages that are supposed to be delivered. So I, I really feel like a lot of what I do, yes, I give very tactical guidance, but a lot of what I do is helping that CEO or helping that executive understand that confidence is almost half of the battle right there. Once we establish that and you really internalize your story, then we can start you know, really feeling really great about those interviews that we do. That's great. Um, earlier we were discussing how these days almost everybody is a star in their own way. Everybody has their own social media profiles. Way more people are participating in mass communications than ever before. And, you know, Dan, you have a whole career based in this. You know all the tactics of this. You are a true expert and professional in this. And But there are a bunch of people that are out there on TikTok or whatever going viral, making these videos. And in a certain way, they're putting their own kind of stamp on how people should be communicating on, on these mm-hmm. platforms. Do you think that any of that has bled into, you know, things like television, more mainstream media, uh, and people think that that's how they should be, present themselves, and so they, they don't feel that they need this type of professional instruction because, oh, everybody could just do it themselves. It's that easy, which clearly it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Was that too I, I, wild of a question for you? Was no, I all around no. Kelly's barn for that? <laughs> no, it's not a wild question. In fact, I think it's I think it's a great it's a really really great question. Um, you know, I, I think that for a social media star, an influencer, um, you know, again, however you think about them, you know, they are constantly having to either build the next trend or chase the next trend. They're always looking to become that next shiny object. When you think about what an executive has to do, they don't always have a new shiny object once a week. 
They yeah. get one product or they get one program that they have to work throughout the entire year, okay? So they can't rely on, and I don't say this in a derogatory way, but they can't rely on kind of the spin, the polish, the the sort of magic of something new and novel every day. Mm-hmm. So how do you then offset that, that shininess? You have to offset that with some authenticity. You have to offset that with providing some real value to your audiences. So I think that's one of the things I think that really has to be impressed upon your executives when they're saying, how am I going to compete with this person that has 200 million followers and all they're doing is showing me how they brush their teeth? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, and again, I don't things. say that they're always they're pointing all... at things. You know? Yeah, oh, go ahead. exactly. I'm not saying as if like, you know, there aren't va- there isn't value in that, but, you know, a time and a place for everything. Um you know, I, I'll also say this. I think uh, I think one of the things that has had a positive impact on is brevity is key. It's really great to be able to have an executive see, oh, wow, this one particular video or this 15-second soundbite really packed a big punch in only 15 seconds. So they are, therefore, you know, much more inclined to really kind of get those messaging down and get those bullet points as succinct as they possibly can. One of the things, and this is probably the last thing I think I would say as far as the impact of, of, um, of social media and, and uh, you know, the rise of these influencers is that oftentimes the story structure in which these folks are sharing information is, is used by a typical bedtime story. And, um, and, and I, always, I always use this example in my sessions. But if you think about the purpose of a bedtime story, and, and I don't have kids, but, you know, I, I'm roughly familiar with the concept the purpose of a bedtime story is to like lull your child to sleep, right? To bore them yeah. to sleep. And, and usually it follows that this format. It's it's the setting, it's a conflict, and it's the resolution. So it's the once upon a time, along comes the big bad wolf, and then the happily ever after. If you think about that, you know, it's a chronological way to share information. It's not the most effective way for us as an audience or as a reporter that they want information given to them. They want that mm-hmm. headline, they want that resolution right up front. And a lot of social influencers, a lot of social media stars use that chronological timeline because they want the big, explosive, exciting end. You know, otherwise you're not going to stay there and watch the next 15 seconds. Right. So I think that that's one of the things, and that's that's I I impress upon my executives whenever I'm working with any of my clients. You know, get your headline out there right away. You can't give that build up. You're not building up suspense. Offer the backstory to it. But give me that headline, give me that conclusion, that resolution right up front, and then you can go into the details after that. Wow, that's uh, I, I feel uh, personally attacked on that one because I <laughs> I've had I'm many sorry. times. I did a, a, a video for Upworthy, and I was doing a podcast with my uh, partner, Allison, and we're doing it. And the first comment was, why can't podcasters get to the point? Because oh, oh, I, I was telling a nice long tale and embellishing it with plenty of details and being flowery and, you know, knew that the audience would be there for a moment. It was just like, get to the point, Perry. It's like, okay, no, okay, no, fine. But, but no, but, but, but no, but and this is this is really, really great point only because one, I don't want to offend you. And two, I think there's a great learning from this. It's not to say not to use flowery language. It's not to say not to be descriptive. It's just use those as things that are going to fall and hang from that first overarching thesis that you're going to offer from the very beginning. I mean, I, I love flowery yeah. language. I mean, I'm, 
I mean, if, if I got paid by the word, I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this podcast. So, um, <laughs> but you know, it's, um, it, it's really, it's how much you're going to structure things. And then, you know, the other thing is, is we've got, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that to be able to have a great conversation. And so, you know, therefore we can take a little bit more time, you know, we can be a little bit more engaging, a little more thoughtful, you know, we have that kind of a format to play with. You put someone on Squawk Box that has literally 90 seconds to get something out, there's no time to say once upon a time, you know, we've got to get to the happily ever after right away. A couple quick questions, because we're coming up against it, as they say. Yeah. Uh, What is your favorite client success story? Mm. Um, you know what I would say? So, um, one of my clients is a, a fairly large CPG company. Um, they were involved in the cola wars. I'll say that. Okay. Um, in my, in my opinion, they won. Um, but, um, so this, this particular client was rolling out a program that was a much more robust program beyond a sustainability program. This was a program that was going to have an impact in their hiring practices, in their DE&I initiatives, in their procurement, in their manufacturing. It was a top-down initiative that was going to affect every single component of the company. Now, unfortunately, a lot of reporters were looking at it as, okay, here comes this company with a new sustainability program. Mm-hmm. And it got boxed that way from early, you know, from, from early coverage. I worked with their chief, uh, with their chief sustainability officer in a couple of media trainings. And by no means am I taking credit for the success of the interviews, but he was able to get out there and show that this was a much bigger program. This wasn't just about amping up a recycling initiative. This was actually like a a, a soup to nuts effort in making a serious difference to the planet. Difference to the planet. That was something that I I was actually really proud of because sustainability is like a is such an, an oversaturated. It's important, right? But if you're working with clients that have a new initiative, it's really tough to break through to those reporters and make them care because they've just, there's everyone's doing it now. So how yeah. are you different? Oh, that's great. Uh, let's see here. So a uh, quick two very fast questions. Uh, yeah. And this is mostly me, me being selfish. Where do you put your hands when you're on TV uh-huh. in an interview when you're not, when you're, when they're showing your whole body, Right. Uh, you know what? What do you do? What do you do with your hands? Because it's always that's always the giveaway. It's like someone that they'll, they'll be doing fine. Then you look, they they have creepy hands. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I get. Oh, oh. So you're like as a as a broadcaster or as someone that's doing interview, someone that's actually being interviewed. I, I think both. Let's say you're both standing up, so you could see somebody's whole body. What okay. do you do with your hands? First and foremost, if you're someone, and I'm very animated. If, if you're someone that always uh, uses your hands to talk, you have to continue to do that. There are some trainers that say, you have to sit still. You have to sit on your hands if you have to. You have to put your hands in your pockets, whatever it might be. I, to me, you know, I studied theater for a while. I think that, like, you're, you're, you're diminishing your whole body as a tool when you do that, mm-hmm. when you try to force your body to do something it doesn't naturally want to do. So I say, listen, if you've got three things and you tick off one, two, and three on your, on your hand, that only makes it that much more authentic. Um, if you don't, if you don't use your hands, just simply, you know, hands by the side. I know it's going to okay. feel uncomfortable, but it actually looks very natural. Good posture, obviously, that goes a long way. But hands by the side is really what looks very, very natural. You know, when you're constantly back and forth, hands in front, hands behind, 
you know, that nervousness starts to starts to show through. So I just think having a very neutral pose, I think, is, is the best thing to do. Um, you know, when it comes to broadcasting, if you've got like this particular shot that we're seeing here, which is like chest on up, you know, obviously you want to keep your hands, you know, closer to your side because, you know, every, you know, you, you don't want to have like arm movements and everyone's saying like, you know, are you petting the dog? Are you tying your shoe? What's going on down there? So, um, you know, try to keep your try to keep your hands and arms as, in a neutral position as possible. And last one, it was on a pre uh, recent show, I was speaking with somebody about this, and they said that before they did an interview one time, they were appearing on a podcast, and there was a list of things, and the host was very adamant, do not say um while mm. you were speaking. And now, yeah. as somebody who edits podcasts, I always go in there and I try to remove the ums, because it can get distracting to the listener if some people have very... Uh, rhythmic ums i went to the store um i went to the and that can get drive people nuts so but but at the same time if i go into something going don't say um don't say um don't say um it's gonna be stressful for me and i can't be natural so i know this is possibly an impossible question to answer but um, yeah, <laughs> um let me think uh let me think about this <laughs> uh, um here's the reality it's part of how we speak. I like to tell executives, don't get hung up on those filler words, the ums, the likes, the thes. Yes, good to be cognizant of it. But when you focus so much on that, you know, to your point, then you don't talk about the actual important work. Mm. How you go about eliminating the ums, all of those filler words, I, I really firmly believe in this, is internalizing your story. What are those three messages that you want to get out? If the audience walks away with nothing else but those three messages, do you know them forwards and backwards? And can you offer them up in various words and in various messages? If you do that and you feel confident that you can deliver that nine times out of 10, you are going to drop all of those thumbs, the thes, the likes, all that kind of stuff. But I... Like I said, I really hesitate to ever start counting them. I know as for you as a podcaster, it drives you nuts probably yeah. to edit all of that out. Mm -hmm. But I will say when I'm training someone, try not to fix on fixate on that so much. When you get to the level that you're that you're nailing all those points, then we can start eliminating those and we'll start keeping count and making sure that you're improving every time we do a mock interview. But right out of the gate, internalize your story. They're going to start to naturally fall apart and fall away. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dan Kleffler, for coming on the show. And as a testament to this man's skill as a presenter, not once but twice, my son, my six-year-old son, entered the studio in a very <laughs> distracting manner, and you were not thrown. You were not thrown I, at all. You kept I, on I, doing I was, what you were doing. Pro. I was not thrown at all. I was actually more interested in what he was doing, quite frankly. So I didn't want to break character. I wanted to see where this was going to play out. So unfortunately, he just came in and he walked out. So it was it was very lackluster for me. But <laughs> you're you're welcome. I'm 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 glad I could deliver. Uh, and he had a pizza in his hand a second time. So oh uh, well, even 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 more interesting. Now I had no idea. Now now I'm hungry. Well, Dan, uh, where can people find you and learn more about the SALT standard so they can get this type of uh, expert training? 
Yeah, well, listen, I, I really appreciate that and really appreciate your time. Um, you know, it, it's it's been a great pleasure. And it's I think it's important, you know, for nothing else to at least get some PR and comms teams thinking about how they can encourage their executives to really take this training very seriously. Because the fact is, they work hard to get these opportunities. And at the 11th hour, you want to make sure that those executives deliver. So um, you can go to my website, thesaltstandard.com. And that's salt, uh, just like table salt, uh, thesaltstandard.com. Check out some of my services and, and drop me a line, you know, even if it's just to say hello, I'm, I'm always interested in meeting new people and finding out, you know, what they're working on and how I might be able to, to support their goals. Thank you very much, Dan. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.